0: Discerninghearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher is a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He is featured on several series found on the Eternal Word television network. He's also the author of numerous books on the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, as well as other works focused on aspects of the spiritual life, including Spiritual Consolation, the book on which this series is based. The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher.
1: So welcome back, and we'll continue with our exploration of the the Second Rule. It's just nice to begin with. An image of Our Lady. So Ignatius is discussing consolation without preceding cause, and he tells us that only God can give this. As he says in the text of the rule, it is of God our Lord alone to give consolation to the soul without preceding cause. And this will make more sense as we go through his text. And as we said before, we have now a first answer to the question that underlies the whole second set of rules. When a person in the second spiritual situation, mature Christian, receives a consolation with good and holy thoughts about some initiative, how can we be sure and know that this is of God and follow it? And Ignatius' first answer is if this consolation comes without a preceding cause, then it is surely of God and we may follow it. All right, so the question is this Is the spiritual consolation that the person has received? Was it given without a preceding cause? And if so, it is surely of God and may be followed. All right, this leads us to the need to have clarity about what Ignatius means by a preceding cause, because essentially the way he works is this If there is no preceding cause before the spiritual consolation, then it is surely of God. Okay, then we need to know well what a preceding cause is so that we can identify its absence uh, in terms of Rule 2. So, let's reread the final sentence of the text of Rule 2, where Ignatius, with his typical, uh, very um, essential kind of language, in some detail, describes what he means by a preceding cause. So, he says, I say without cause, that is, without any previous sentiment or knowledge of some object, there's a first quality, through which such a consolation comes, there's a second quality, by means of its, that is the soul, the person's, acts of understanding and will. And there is a third quality. So, a preceding cause is present when before the consolation there is some sentiment or knowledge in the person relative to some object, as Ignatius says, and it is through that sentiment or knowledge of that object that the ensuing consolation comes And the link happens by means of the person's active engagement of the person's understanding and will. So let's unpack that a little bit. So a preceding cause, first of all, includes what Ignatius says, a previous sentiment or knowledge of some object. That is to say, in the time immediately preceding the consolation, so um, a person is praying with scripture, and uh let's say uh, jesus says let not your hearts be troubled have faith in god have faith in me and uh, um, a a new sense of hope comes into the person's heart as let's say what she's facing um, she has an increased confidence that the lord will be with her and there's a warm upsurge of hope in her heart she has received spiritual consolation the time that Ignatius is speaking of in terms of a previous sentiment or knowledge of some object is the time immediately before the consolation is given. So, to be very concrete, let's say um, she's gone to the nine o'clock morning mass, and she stays in church afterward, and she's praying. Ignatius is not looking at what was in her heart when she awoke that morning. Uh, What he's looking at is what was in her heart and in her thoughts in the time immediately preceding the gift of the consolation. So, previous sentiment or knowledge of some object in the time immediately preceding the consolation, the person experienced, uh, to use Ignatius' language, a sentiment or knowledge. That is, a response of heart and mind, heart or mind. Uh, the person's thoughts are focused on this object, or the, uh, her heart, in this case, is stirred. Uh, with a sense of hope as she reflects on this particular verse from scripture. All right, so the person experiences, there's a a response in the person's heart or mind with respect to a spiritual object. That word sounds a little uh, analytical, um, but what it means, what Ignatius has in mind is that the person focuses his or her mind or heart on, let's say, a verse from scripture, as in the case of the woman we've just mentioned some truth of faith, let's say God's divine providence, which I can trust will be with me this day, an aspect of creation just absorbing the beauty of creation, consolation comes, a memory of God's past workings in his or her life when God has seen me through similar times of darkness in the past and a new sense of warm hope arises, and so forth. So, Ignatius speaks then of the person focusing his or her mind or heart on a spiritual object of this kind. So let's look at some examples of this. So here is a man who um, has a sense of having failed the Lord in some way, I would have wished that he responded more in love or fidelity and patience with courage, perhaps, in one situation or another. And today is praying with the text in John 21, where Jesus, after Peter's threefold denial, so sensitively and lovingly. Heals him from the sorrow and burden uh, in his heart, and by simply asking him, just to allowing him to express the love that is in his heart for Jesus. Do you love me? The threefold repeated question, and as this man prays with this, a warm sense of hope and of being loved by the Lord wells up in his own heart, as he senses that the Lord is not here harshly before him, but the Lord gently, lovingly allows him to express his sorrow and lifts the burden from his heart. So, the man clearly is experiencing spiritual consolation. And is there a spiritual object in Ignatius' sense? Yes. His focus on the text in John 21 and the verses of this and the meaning of them is, in Ignatius' sense, the spiritual object on which he focuses. And it's from his opening his mind and heart to this object it's through that that God infuses the grace of the spiritual consolation. Here is a woman who comes to confession this day. She has a burden on her heart, something she needs to speak about, she knows it's going to be hard for her. But uh, she does, she enters the confessional, she says all that she needs to say with courage, and this received with great goodness by the priest, and already even before the absolution, the burden is lifted from her heart. And as she hears the words of the absolution, a sense of joy wells up within her and a sense of new freedom. Obviously, reverently, we're on holy ground here. She is experiencing spiritual consolation. Does that spiritual consolation come, uh, is it linked to, does it arise from, with God's grace, obviously, a spiritual object? And again, the answer is very obviously yes. If she were not going to confession, If she did not hear the priest's words or receive the absolution, the consolation would not come in the way that it does. So this is a consolation um, that arises from a spiritual object. And then maybe one more example. Here is a man who is facing a difficult decision. He knows where the Lord is leading. He knows what he needs to do, but it's going to take courage, and he's struggling to be able to do it. Today at Sunday Mass, he's listening to the homily, and the priest's words and the message of the scripture that he explains touch his heart, and he feels a new energy, a new hope, and somehow in his heart heart, he knows that the Lord is giving him the courage that he needs to take the step that lies ahead, and a warm sense of gratitude and new strength wells up in his heart. Reverently, he is experiencing spiritual consolation. And is there a spiritual object that is linked to the reception of that grace of consolation, then very clearly the answer is yes. If he were not listening to the homily uh, with its message, the consolation would not be given in the way that it is. So, this is what Ignatius is speaking about in terms of a preceding cause. In each of these cases, as we see, the spiritual consolation is given through the person's focus on a spiritual object— In the time immediately preceding the consolation. Secondly, so uh, a previous sentiment uh, or knowledge of some object through which such a consolation comes. That is, the person can recognize that it's because he or she opened his or her mind and heart to this spiritual object, the verse from Scripture, uh, the sacrament of confession, the words of the homily, or any similar object, the sunset the smile of, of, of a child, uh, the love of a spouse, whatever the, the um, instrumentality that the good spirit may use to, uh, to give the spiritual consolation. It's because the person can recognize that the consolation comes because of that focus on the spiritual object, so that the person can recognize a link between focusing on the spiritual object and the consolation that follows, as would be true in each of the three cases we just uh, examined. So that if the person the person knows that if he or she were not focused on the spiritual object, the consolation would not be given in the way that it is. And each of the three can recognize that link in um, their experience as we've just described it. So they will recognize that that their consolation came through their openness and focus on the spiritual object. Okay, I think this is already clear. If they were not focused on it, the consolation would not come in that way. And then finally, the link between the spiritual object and the consolation takes place by means of the person's own active engagement on the level of the person's understanding and will. So the person reflects on Thinks about the spiritual objects, opens the affections of the heart and the will to this object, so that the link comes about by the active engagement of the person's own spiritual faculties, that is, the understanding and the will. Okay, because the person actively directs his or her mind to the spiritual object, the consolation becomes. Now, I'll say this may all sound a little abstract, uh, probably not too much. But it's really just putting into words something that, it, uh, once we think about it, we've long experienced in our spiritual um, experiences of spiritual consolation. Okay, the, uh, the man prays actively with uh, the text in John 21. The woman goes to confession, actually actively engages her mind and heart in this. And the man listens actively and takes in the message of the, uh, of the homily, and in each case, the spiritual consolation is given. So, this is Ignatius' description of what he means by a preceding cause. I'm going to simplify the language a little bit and say that a preceding cause is present when, in the time immediately preceding the gift of the spiritual consolation, there is a spiritual object toward which the person opens him or herself, and there is a stirring of heart There are thoughts with respect to this spiritual object. And the person can recognize that there is a link between his or her focus on this spiritual object and the consolation that followed. And this link takes place by means of the person's own active engagement of understanding and will. That's what Ignatius means. When those three qualities are present, then we have a preceding cause of a consolation. Okay, let's look at some real examples. Experiences of spiritual consolation with a preceding cause. And uh, you have these in the handout. Um, if you look uh, on page 8 in the handout, you'll find these texts. This first is uh, just a single sentence from the diary of Gerard Manley Hopkins, and he's uh, writing at age 30. And he has just spent a day with friends, uh, a day of sightseeing and visiting and spending time together. And they are now in an open carriage, driving home under the night sky. And he writes the following. You know Hopkins with his a uh, great sensitivity uh, to beauty. As we drove home, the stars came out thick. I lent I back to look at them, and my heart, opening more than usual, praised our Lord to and in whom all that beauty comes home. Now, the language is very essential here. And the description of what I believe really is spiritual consolation is, is, is very succinct. As, as Hopkins uh, just leans back in these, this open carriage as they drive through the night and looks up at the beauty of the night sky filled with the stars, uh, his heart is warmed and a sense of God, uh, who is the origin and the, the end purpose of all of that beauty, wells up in his heart and his heart opens up in praise to God. So, reverently, we we are seeing here an experience of spiritual consolation as he looks at the night sky. So, again, with reverence, is there a preceding cause to this spiritual consolation? Is there an object, a spiritual object, on which he focuses in the time immediately preceding the spiritual consolation? Clearly, yes. It's the night sky, the beauty of the night sky and the beauty of the stars. Is there a clear link between his focus on this spiritual object and the spiritual consolation that follows? And again, very clearly, yes. The second follows upon the first by, with a very clear link. If he were not looking at the night sky, the spiritual consolation would not come in the way that it does. And then finally, does the link take place by his own active engagement of his spiritual faculties? And clearly, yes. Uh, he, he drinks in the night sky as he gazes at it, his heart reflects on it. This is from God. This is all directed toward God. His heart opens up in praise. The link between the object and the spiritual, the link between the object and the spiritual consolation that follows, very clearly happens through um, Gerard Manley Hopkins' active engagement of his mind and his will. So that what we are seeing here is an experience of spiritual consolation with preceding cause.
0: We'll return to the second week rules for the discernment of spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of
1: Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen.
0: Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. Or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, with Father Timothy Gallagher.
1: Let's take a second example, and this is from St. Augustine. And he is describing being in church when the uh, people assembled are singing the psalms. He calls them the hymns and canticles. And this is just uh, within the, the, the days immediately following his baptism, and the following takes place. How I wept when I heard your hymns and canticles, being deeply moved by the sweet singing of your church. Those voices flowed into my ears. Truth filtered into my heart. And from my heart surged waves of devotion. Tears ran down, and I was happy in my tears. So Augustine is in the church, and he is present as those assembled are singing the hymns, that is, the hymns and canticles singing the psalms. And as he hears this, a great warmth and, and a joy surges in his heart and a, and a happiness, as he says, so much so that his tears begin to fall. As the, the, the sweetness of the singing, the meaning of the words um, enters into his heart and he opens himself to it, a warm experience of spiritual consolation is given. All right, the same questions. Is there a spiritual object in the time immediately preceding this spiritual consolation? And the answer clearly is yes. If Augustine were not in the church and were not hearing, listening to the singing of the Psalms, this consolation would not be given in the way that it is. Is there a clear link between his opening of his mind and heart to that spiritual object and the consolation that follows? Again, very clearly there is. And does the link take place by means of his own activity, that is, the opening of his heart, the opening of his mind to the truth uh, that, he says, filtered through my ears, and the the opening of his heart in, in gratitude to God for this very clearly, yes. Augustine is experiencing a very beautiful consolation with preceding cause. And let's take one more example. And this is again from Julian Green, but this is years later than the experience that we saw when he was 15 years old. And let's read um, his account. This is also from his diary. And this is written in 1946. So the, uh, Europe has just been through the Second World War and the heaviness and the darkness of that still lingers. And he writes, I never meet anyone without being told that we are racing headlong toward an era of fresh disasters. I had a long fit of insomnia last night, during which many thoughts stirred in my mind, most of them very gloomy. Then I remembered St. Teresa of Avila's prayer, let nothing trouble you, let nothing terrify you, God only. And I once more found peace. So with reverence. Now, obviously, Julian is experiencing spiritual consolation, the sense of trouble in his heart is replaced by a sense of peace uh, just that—that that is uh, mediated to him through the message of St. Teresa's, Teresa's famous bookmark prayer. All right, let's do the same thing. Is there a spiritual object on which he focuses in the time immediately preceding the consolation? And very clearly, once more, there is. Teresa of Avila's prayer of confidence in God. Is there a clear link between his focus on this object and the consolation that follows? Uh, Very clearly there is. And does that link take place by means of his own active engagement with Teresa's prayer? That is, uh, drinking in the meaning of the words, letting them touch his heart. Very clearly, the answer is yes. Julian is experiencing uh, a blessed consolation with preceding cause. Okay, so... I, as I've said before, I think what this description does, it just renders explicit something we've always known about spiritual consolation with preceding cause. We know that because I said the rosary, because I went to Mass, because I spent time with Scripture, because of the encouraging help or words of a friend, um, or to use Ignatian language, a spiritual object to which I opened my heart and mind, the consolation came. So that very simply is what Ignatius means by a consolation. Uh, that is given after with preceding cause. Now, the point of rule two is that when there is no such preceding cause, and the consolation is simply given without that, then the consolation is given immediately by God, because only God can give consolation in this way. And therefore, there can be no deception in the consolation, and we can follow with great confidence uh, without any anxiety what is given to us in that consolation. All right, this, uh, why is it that, that such consolation can only be given of God? Ignatius doesn't get into the philosophical underpinnings of this. That's not the kind of text that he's writing here. But very simply just tells us something that he learned from experience and which long experience now confirms, that it is proper to the creator, that is, that only God can do this, to enter the soul Go out of the soul to move it interiorly, drawing it totally in love of his divine majesty. Only God can give this kind of spiritual consolation, and therefore we can open our hearts to it in confidence. Now, in the light of everything we've said, let's go back to those first three experiences with which we began our discussion of Rule Two. Julian Green at age 15, when he is uh, in the pension in the room with his father. Uh, Brother Bob, who prays with the woman who anoints Jesus' feet with the perfume, and then Francis, the young Francis, as he's walking through the streets of Assisi. And let's look at them now in the light of what we've seen about consolation with or without preceding cause. So Julian tells us he is simply lying on the bed. Uh, Nighttime has come. He's in bed but not yet sleeping. Elsewhere in the room, his father is saying his own prayers before retiring. Julian is not thinking of anything in particular, not focused on anything in particular, just lying there. And then he tells us, all of a sudden, I was seized with an unutterable happiness. For a few minutes, my soul was completely absorbed in God. And as the uh, description, more ample description that we read earlier, tells us, there is a great joy that stirs in his heart and a great sense of peace, which even now years later as he recounts this still in some measure remains with him all right the same questions was there in the time immediately preceding that spiritual consolation a spiritual object on which julian focuses his mind and heart and the answer is evidently no and that already answers the second and third qualities of a preceding cause there is no object a spiritual object in ignatius sense through which, or because he opens himself to which, actively opens himself to which, the consolation comes. We are clearly experiencing here, witnessing here, a spiritual consolation without preceding cause. Francis, the young Francis, as he's walking through the street, they finish their, their banquet, and they're walking through the streets. The other young men are up in front of him on the street singing, singing, Francis, uh, the account tells us, is simply walking in silence, just listening. And then all of a sudden, the Lord touched his heart, filling it with such surpassing sweetness that he could neither speak nor move. And as we saw, he is given the germ of his whole vocation at this point, what will become the Franciscan way of life. All right, the same questions again. Uh, Is there, in the time immediately preceding the consolation, is Francis focused on a spiritual object? Are his mind and heart focused on a spiritual object? The answer is no. He's simply walking, simply listening. And this answers the same questions with regard to the remaining two qualities. Therefore, there obviously is no object, the link, uh, by means of, of, of which, the opening of his heart to which Uh, establishes a recognizable link with the consolation that follows. Francis is also clearly experiencing consolation without preceding cause. You see how Ignatius works. This is what I mean by preceding cause. When it's not there, you know that it's a spiritual consolation without preceding cause. And I um, have left Brother Bob for, for last year because there's another twist in this. Brother Bob is praying when the consolation comes, and he's praying on the text of the woman who washes Jesus' feet and anoints them with the expensive perfume. And he's struck by the extravagant quality of what this woman is doing. But then something all out of proportion to his prayer um, happens. Then the most unexpected thing happens. happened. I was all of a sudden overwhelmed with God's love. And we'll remember his words. It was amazing, extravagant, incredible. He uses those words over and over again. So let's uh, go to our questions. Is there a spiritual object on which Brother Bob focuses his mind and heart in the time immediately preceding the spiritual consolation? And here we have to say, yes, there is. He's praying with that text from the gospel. Is his focus on this spiritual object, and so let's uh, get the third quality there, his own opening of his mind and heart to to uh, to this object, can we, rec- can we identify a recognizable link between his focus on that spiritual object and the extravagant, overwhelming, powerful um, spiritual consolation that is poured, suddenly poured out upon him? And here I would say it's probably difficult to see that the consolation that is suddenly given to him comes simply by linkage with his focus on the object that follows. The disproportion is so great between his focus on that object and the consolation that is now suddenly extravagantly poured out upon him that I think we could, eat, we could, uh, might very well say that the second and third qualities simply are not found in this experience, and that therefore, Brother Bob is experiencing consolation without preceding cause. In this case, there is an object, but the disproportion is so great. And Bob rec- recognizes himself that suddenly this is. This is not coming in any way from his efforts. It's just uh, he happens to be praying, but it's just suddenly poured out upon him in a way that is extravagant and beyond any effort on his part. So I'll recognize that here. A spiritual director hearing this would need to listen very carefully, but might well conclude that this was an experience of consolation without preceding cause. So we have a first answer to the question faced in the second set of rules person in the second spiritual situation how can he or she be sure that spiritual consolation and the good and holy thoughts that come with it are of god and should be followed was there a rich experience of spiritual consolation given without a preceding cause then it is surely of god and may be followed You know, uh, I I hope what we've done here is clear, but I I just will let you know that there is an enormous amount of writing about this. Whole books have been written on this second rule and exploring what Ignatius means by uh, consolation, spiritual consolation without preceding cause. But I think Ignatius in the, um, the, the, the restricted amount of words that he uses is really quite clear in what he's saying. Now, a question that will always come up at this point is, how often does this happen? How often do people experience spiritual consolation without preceding cause? I think we can all recognize that spiritual consolation with preceding cause is more common. But how often does spiritual consolation without preceding cause happen? Um, Is it something that we expect to happen every day? Or is it something that is such a rarefied spiritual experience that only great saints like Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross may occasionally experience something like this? Ignatius himself never answers this question. Um, He is content to be able to recognize this when it happens. He doesn't get into theoretical questions of this kind. And if you read the extensive literature that I've quoted, you'll see that the commentators vary uh, very widely in their answers on this. So I'm going to give you my own answer out of what I have seen and experienced uh, in spiritual direction over a good many years now. And my understanding of this is that spiritual consolation without preceding cause does occur. It's not something that's limited just to the rarefied experience of the great mystics. Uh, The examples that we've given, you know, Brother Bob, Julian Green, and so forth, uh, these are people like us. So that, yes, it does occur, but not with great frequency. It's not something that we expect to be happening every day or every week. Uh, It's a great gift when God gives it. And when God does give it, it's important to understand uh, that it is spiritual consolation without preceding cause, because that gives us a very clear understanding of how to respond to it. All right. What if you think you may have experienced spiritual consolation without preceding cause, but you're not sure? Probably you can already tell me how I'm going to answer this, but this is Ignatius' own answer. Speak with a wise and competent spiritual director. That burden, the burden of answering that question, is not on your shoulders. That's why the church provides for us wise and competent spiritual directors.
0: Father Gallagher will conclude the teachings in Conference 3. In our next episode, you've been listening to the second week rules for the discernment of spirits, an Ignatian guide to a greater discernment of spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher to hear and or to download the podcast version of this conference. Visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free discerning hearts app. To view Father Gallagher's video presentation of this conference, visit discerninghearts.com or the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for The Second Week Rules for the Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide to a Greater Discernment of Spirits with Father Timothy Gallagher.